Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day just to be alive and breathing. Uh, we know that you don't need us, but you give us the chance to be used for your kingdom and your glory. And we just thank you for this privilege of being alive and being part of your plan and being part of your body, the body of Christ. Help us never be familiar with all this grace you've shown us. And as undeserving as we are, uh, you thought of us from the beginning. Father, most of all, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to take care of our debt and wipe it away so that whoever trusts in him from the heart will be saved. We ask, Father, that you bless this message. Have your spirit guide us and teach us and give us the special message you have planned for us tonight. It's in Christ's precious name we pray by the power of the spirit. The Difficult Passages, Grace and Works, Part 27. We're going to start with a few scriptures that we saw on Sunday morning. Uh, in particular, we left, uh, led off on Sunday with Hosea 14, verse 9. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them, but transgressors will stumble in them. The ways of the Lord are right. The ways of the Lord are good. Like, it's so simple. And it's so pure. And what we do as men is, as we've been learning, we get in the way and we add to it and we complicate the heck out of it. But God's like, listen, this is the right way, this is the wrong way. Uh, I'm telling you pretty straight out, straight up, this is what I want from you. This is the way to death. This is the way to life. And thank God it's that simple. Um, and he knows we need it to be that simple, the dumb sheep that we can be. If you think about it, this world is filled with the simple battle of good against evil, of righteousness versus wickedness. And that's portrayed throughout the whole of Scripture. It's not complicated. It's not um, complex. It's righteousness versus wickedness. And simply put, those who are for God and for God's ways are called righteous. And those who are against God and follow the world's ways are unrighteous. It's not rocket science. And that's why the, the most simple of people, uh, a child, a young, young child can bring glory to God because he's simply following God's commands, God's ways. And as a believer, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved, the desire of your heart has changed. God changed. God put in you this desire to, to serve him, to follow his ways. You were given a new heart, the very heart of Christ, the day you were saved. So now you desire in your heart to do good for him. Does it get any more like simple and pure than that? You desire in your heart, if you're a believer, you, you can freely admit this. You don't always do it. That's a whole other story, right? But what is the overall desire of your heart? Isn't it to do good for him? 
you know, when you get that out of the way, when you finally humble yourself, don't you just want to bring him glory? Don't you just want to thank him, praise him, whatever? Of course you do. And that's the overall governing desire of the new heart. And that's how one ways we tell a believer from an unbeliever. That is the overall governing desire. And so we have opportunity each day that we're still alive. God's grace shown towards us motivates us to do his good works. Now remember our series, Grace and Works, right? God's grace shown toward us motivates us to do his good works. That's what happens in the life of a believer. Why? Because he understands and receives God's grace. And that grace has to change somebody. It can't not. It's too omnipotent. And then good works naturally follow, as we've been studying. So Galatians 6, 9, and 10 has come up quite often, and I put the uh, unique, uh, different translations, not unique, but different from our regular Bibles. In the Amplified Translation, Galatians 6, 9, and 10, Let us not grow weary or become discouraged in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap if we do not give in. So then, while we as individual believers have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, not only being helpful, but also doing that which promotes their spiritual well-being. Didn't we just mention that? The Spirit just brought that up? About not just praying for someone's physical health, but maybe even more so their spiritual well-being? Especially be a blessing to those of the household of faith, born-again believers. And we also saw the message on Sunday. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance, I like that translation, every time we get the chance, every opportunity, do you look at it as an opportunity? I was talking to Pastor briefly this week about this. Like, do you look at every, um, this, you know, we could go on with words here. Every opportunity God puts in front of you, do you seize it? Uh, do, you, do you, every time you get the chance, receive it as grace or receive it as a chance to bring Him glory? The time is short. Let's work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. So the Spirit had us synthesize this with James 1.25 over the last few lessons to show us that the blessing in life is in the actual doing, in the actual obedience to God and His Word and His will. Again, the blessing in life is in the actual doing. This is contrary to the flesh. The flesh doesn't want to do anything unless it's for self. But the blessing is in the actual doing for others. You get blessed. It doesn't make sense. But spiritually, it makes all the sense in the world. It's the simple, uh, wonderful plan of God where you reap what you sow. So let's look at Galatians, uh, James, rather, 125. You don't have to turn there, just on the board in these two different translations. In the Amplified, but he who looks carefully into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and faithfully abides by it, not having become a careless listener who forgets, 
but an active doer who, who obeys, he will be blessed and favored by God in what he does in his life of obedience. And then in the message, but whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, the free life, even out of the corner of his eye, and sticks with it, is no distracted scatterbrain, but a man or woman of action. That person will find delight and affirmation in the action. That person will find delight and affirmation in the action. But it takes stepping out by faith, doesn't it? If you're going to serve somebody else and it inconveniences you, your time, your health, your sleep, your wealth, it's a sacrifice at the beginning. But if you step out by faith, if you step out by faith, God says, I will more than replenish you. You'll get the delight and affirmation of the action that you did by faith. God's ways are not our ways. The blessing for self is in doing for others. Just think about that. It holds true in every area of life. It's just reaping what you sow principle, really. The blessing for self is in doing for others. Self gets blessed, even though you don't think it's going to work out that way because you're blessing somebody else. And it takes believing God's ways. It takes believing this principle, walking by faith to realize this in our lives. So as part of understanding works in this series, a lot came up on Sunday about our roles in the body of Christ. We're all part of Christ's body. And it doesn't get any more intimate than that. You're connected. You're intimately connected, permanently connected to Christ's body. Each and every one of us. The Lord has called us to a certain position and function within his body as part of the resultant works from his grace changing us. Again, the Lord has called us to certain, a certain position and function within his body. We all have a role as part of the resultant works from his grace changing us. Again, when God's grace work, works upon somebody, it works, and it results in good works. These works he designed for us to walk in are for the benefit of one another as part of the body to the glory of God as we live and work together for Christ. There's so much power in unity. And that's one of the things the Spirit's been saying in the last couple of lessons. There's tremendous power in unity. If we stick together and stay together, even though we're a small group of believers, really, but if we stay together and stick together as where we've been assigned to be and we fill in the gaps for one another, there's tremendous things that we can do and see and experience together in the spiritual life. That won't happen if we break off from one another. Go again to Ephesians 4, verse 11, and let's just revisit the uh, intimacy of the body of Christ that we're all a part of. I mean, the things that we do and say affect one another. 
Uh, they affect you too, but they affect one another. Like our lives are, are very interwoven if we're going to live for Christ. If we do that thing together, there's tremendous power in it and, and we can actually affect each other and help each other a great deal through this battle that we go through. Ephesians 4.11 And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we no longer we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by, by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Notice verse 16 again. Christ is the head in verse 15, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Who doesn't want more love? But we don't want to do things the way God says to do it, to get more love. Unity, each doing our own individual part, you're actually loving one another by operating in your role in the body by not forsaking it, by not, you know, being careless about it. It's for each person's benefit, but each part has to, quote-unquote, do its job. I mean, I've been thinking about this quite a bit. If you've ever been injured in any way, if you ever had a, a finger even that out of whack that you couldn't use, or a foot, or an ankle, or a knee, what happens is you put all pressure on the rest of your body, right? to make up for that weakness? And don't you hurt the healthy part of your body that's trying to take over? Doesn't that actually potentially even get injured, if not just in pain? So isn't it interesting that God designed it like that to show us it's the exact same thing in the spiritual realm? You're hurting somebody else. You're allowing too much stress or strain on another body part if you just go AWOL and be selfish. But if you stick with it and you function well, there's nothing better than, than when you feel very healthy on a given day, right? For some of you that are battling illnesses, you really appreciate it now. When you get a day that you just feel great and everything's, you know, there's no pain, there's no uh, things you have to make up for. So think of the spiritual analogy. Think how God, how intimately God designed all this stuff to show us these pictures, these visual aids. What man doesn't take care of his own body, nurturing it and protecting it whenever possible? Only the foolish man doesn't take care of it. We know when we don't care for our body, we cause more pain to it. And so it is with the spiritual body in Christ. 
on the board the body of Christ. We are held together by individual parts, each of us supplying connectivity and support as joints do in a human body. Imagine a human body without any tendons or ligaments, those things that hold the bones in place. We'd have a pile of bones. It's really pretty funny to picture, but it's true, right? We'd have no frame. We'd have nothing solid about us. This is what Satan desires. A house divided against itself will not stand. Matthew 12, 25. So again, think of the spiritual realm. A house divided against itself will not stand. So we have been encouraged and even alerted lately to not give the devil an opportunity. The devil hates what's going on here in a church like this. He hates unity amongst believers. Remember also, Satan will often attack us from the inside, using our own flesh, uh, using those closest to us, even in our own homes. So you might be running well, so to speak, spiritually. You might be even doing your part in the body of Christ and saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to be accountable to everybody. I'm going to fill in where I can or whatever, whatever you think God wants you to do right now. But then along creeps in a good friend, someone even in your own household to start planting seeds of doubt in you maybe, lies, pull you away, maybe go back to your old ways, the things that your flesh wants to do. Who knows? Satan loves using inside agents. He already has inside agents he can use among us if we're not careful. So why would he look for other means if he can get someone on the inside and use someone on the inside? Our job is to make Satan look elsewhere. Our job is to defend our homes and make it difficult for him to infiltrate, to deceive us. Look at Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Notice the context of this all. It's uh, talking a lot about what we speak, about what we speak and, and things like anger. But don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. That's what Satan wants, the sun to go down on your anger. Satan wants you to hold out to bitterness and things like that so that you're not free. You're not invested in the body. You're not operating in love. So don't give the devil an opportunity. On the board, how might we do this? How might we give the devil an opportunity? We, quote-unquote, forget about the Lord who has shown us grace. And it's when we forget that our eyes are diverted from Christ, even just a little bit at first, and since we can't multitask, as we've learned, we've opened the door up to Satan. We've given him a crack to get in there and whisper a lie, maybe through an inside agent. So we weaken as joints when we allow Satan to cause divisions in the body. So let's run well. Like the Bible uses that analogy a lot, right? Run the race set before you. 
spiritually? Well, let's not only run it individually. Let's run it as part of the body. You know, you might be the elbow. <laughs> you might be whatever. You picture a body running. You want your body to run as fluidly and smoothly as possible. So your joint, whatever part you are on that body, is a big part of that action. And, you know, by our faithfulness and by unity, we might even be part of a bigger revival, even in our own country. That's something else that's been coming on my mind. But you never know what God is going to produce out of faithfulness, out of obedience. It could be amazing, miraculous things that he uses us for or to just be involved in. But we wouldn't have had the privilege to be involved in it if we stopped running well. So think of each other, not just yourselves. And on the board, again, don't give the devil an opportunity. Satan wants to divide our house, and he will use whatever he can to cause dissension among us, even the quote-unquote good things. He'll use personal preferences, personality conflicts, relationships, money, etc., etc., etc. All earthly things, by the way, all temporal things. He'll use those things to break us apart as brothers and sisters in Christ, which is an eternal thing. So, again, you know, think from above looking down. Ask yourself, am I separating from somebody or bitter towards somebody for something that's temporal or eternal? Do I have a just cause here? Am I being childish and interrupting my eternal union with them as brothers and sisters? How foolish when you put it that way, right? We act like children sometimes. But we must not be unaware of Satan's schemes. He'll even use good things to divide. He'll even use little things to divide. May we keep our eyes wide open because nothing should come in between us as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the big picture when you step back. I mean, we're all here temporarily. Any one of us can die tomorrow, right? A lot of people die young, by the way. Like we... (laughs) It's great that God has given us death and, and suffering because it gives us perspective. We're here temporarily, so what are we going to do with this thing? What are, we, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do in your function with the body? Are you going to waste it away or run with it and rejoice one day in front of Jesus Christ? The flesh loves to use petty things to, to distract from unity in the body. Don't let it happen. Sometimes we need to just get over things and grow up, honestly. Uh, we all have our weaknesses, but we really just need to make a decision to stop being childish or selfish. We're all God's children, and that more than overrides any earthly things that we keep between us. So let's not let it happen. Let's be quick to apologize, quick to forgive, right? Quick to love. And not let Satan, you know, slither right in between. Don't give Satan an opportunity. Obey God's word and experience the freedom he promises from that obedience.
for your benefit and for the benefit of your fellow soldiers in Christ. So we must make that decision in our own souls. Like each of us have to make that decision to lay down our lives for one another, as the Lord commanded, to, to function as part of the body because we know it's going to help our fellow brethren in Christ. We have to make that decision. This obedience will prevent the flesh from digging its claws into us. Obedience. Stay on the narrow path. It will prevent the flesh from digging its claws in us. It won't let those things fester like we like to do when we're in self-pity or whatever mode we're in. Pastor shared uh, his battle on Sunday with us. Uh, He mentioned if if it's not one of his sheep turning on him, it's him being tempted to look at our flesh as the sheep, to look at our weaknesses. Uh, on the board, he, he mentioned about the schemes of the devil here. And this is his point of view. Satan wants me to look out at all of you and see your flesh as who you are, but I refuse. If you are saved, you have been made new. I choose to see you as God does, as holy. Your flesh, though irritating, is temporal. So when you see a fellow believer, what are you looking at? Do you see the individual saved by grace? Or do you see them in their flesh and in their weakness? We have to hold to this attitude or this perspective. If not, we'll be like an army fighting against itself, destroying itself from within. We'll be pretty useless in God's plan. And it makes Satan happy, which really stinks. I mean, who wants to give him an easy path for all the lies he's sown, for all the evil he's sown, for the violence he's perpetuated on so many people in this world? Falling for the lies, we often do his job for him. So let's not, let's not make it easy for him. Go to Philippians 2, verse 14. Philippians 2.14 Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Rejoice in the same way And share your joy with me. What are our eyes on? Fleshly things? Selfish things? Or rejoice in the same way, Paul's saying. Share your joy with me. Let's let's do this thing together. Let's keep our eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the things above where Christ is. Seated in heavenly places. We must be on guard for spiritual attacks. That deceive us into even attacking one another. 
I think of the, in the Old Testament. You remember in the Old Testament and some of the, the battles that God gave Israel? God told Israel, I'll deliver them into your hands. You don't worry about it. Go forward. And they went forward by faith, and God often turned the soldiers of the opposing army against each other. He confused them. He somehow confused them. He made them panic, and they were killing each other with the sword. That's what Satan hopes we do, because our eyes get on the flesh. But it doesn't have to be that way. We, we have to be on guard for his attacks, his deceptions. On the board, Galatians 5.15 we saw on Sunday in the Amplified. But if you bite and devour one another in bickering and strife, watch out that you, along with your entire fellowship, are not consumed by one another. It's the same theme over and over, by the way, which you're going to see in a few more verses right now. It's the same theme. What do we do? We bite and devour one another. We get jealous or we get bitter and angry and we hold on to it. We let the sun go down on our anger and we're buying right into Satan's, falling right into Satan's trap. So let's look at a few more warnings in Scripture about this on the board and let's remember too that God looks at the heart in all this. All right? Go to 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. And remember, God looks at the heart in all this. So, for example, you might not be biting and devouring one another literally. Uh, you might not be speaking evil words to somebody else. But you have evil words in your heart for them. See what I mean? You could be biting and devouring one another in your heart, holding on to these things that are just unhealthy. And they do get in the way of the function of the body. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? What's the problem again? Jealousy and strife. Immaturity. Adults acting like children. Well, you hit me first. No, you hit me first. All right? Dad, tell him to stop it. <laughs> are we really going to do that to our God? It's what we do when we live in jealous, jealousy and strife and bitterness. God's like... Grow up. Be spiritual men. I want to talk to you as spiritual men, not as infants in Christ, which Paul couldn't do to the Corinthians. So the Spirit's been telling us to pretty much grow up and be a mature man and woman of God. Do what's best for others and all involved, not what just makes you feel better. And let's stop walking like mere men in verse 3. Stop walking like mere men. You're not mere men anymore. You're new creatures in Christ. You've been given the wisdom and power to do even supernatural things. Go to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 7. Actually then, it is already a defeat for you 
that you have lawsuits with one another. In context, Paul's talking about believers, taking believers to court. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your own brethren. Those who are part of your own body, the body of Christ. So rather than harm your own body, Christ's body, why not rather be wronged? The main reason is pride. I, I, I just can't settle for that. I can't be taken advantage of like that. I can't look bad like that. I, 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 I can't look bad because I have pride and arrogance. But the mature man of God says, I'll take it on the chin. I don't care how I'm going to look in this situation. Why not rather be wronged? Are you going to be a child and bring your fellow believer to court and act childish? Or are you going to just be willing to be wrong for the sake of the health of the body so that things don't get worse and other people aren't affected? And James paints the picture so well uh, for us too. Go to James chapter 3, verse 13. It's a picture of what happens in our hearts if we buy the lie. In James 3.13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. See, there's a mature person. Someone living in Christ's gentleness even. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes from above. It is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What's the potential problem again? In verse 14, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Where? In your heart. That's where it starts. And then in verse 17, or 16 rather, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder in every evil thing. Satan wants us to act like children and hold every little thing against one another <laughs> instead of forgiving and loving and apologizing and realizing it's all temporal and it's all foolish compared to being a member of the body of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. So on the board, we're all part of his body, and we all have to make a choice. We can choose to be a healthy part of the body, acting in righteousness, or a cancerous part of the body, living for self in unrighteousness. We can choose to 
stay in our jealousy and bitterness and selfish ambition and hold things over our fellow believers' heads. Or we can choose to forgive and even be wronged for the benefit of the body so that others don't get dragged down, hurt, so that we keep running well. So recognize where the temptation and lies are coming from when they come to you. You know, stop giving in to them. Sometimes when we have fiery darts come at us and like temptation to be bitter or unforgiving, we accept it a little too easily. We're like, we don't stop and say, where did that come from? Should I be thinking that way or should I accept this thought? Or should we call it out with like even with some unrighteous indignation in our soul and be like, that's from Satan. You know, <laughs> I want to say something right now. I can't say it, but seriously, get PO'd and call it out and be like, I'm not accepting this, this lie that, that I'm tempted to buy in my flesh. Recognize it. They are to our own harm if we accept these things. They take our peace away and the peace of the brethren. Look at James 4.1, since we're in James. <clears throat> what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Pretty good summary right there. What's the problem? Why do you quarrel? Why do you conflict? Why are you bitter? Why are you jealous? Why are you unforgiving? Is it not, isn't not the source of that your pleasures that wage war in your members? Isn't it your flesh? Isn't it the lust of your flesh that says, I can't give in. I'm not going to be wronged. I'm right in this situation. Isn't it your pride creeping up and saying, I can't look bad in front of others? Well, Jesus Christ had the opposite attitude. The disciples, the apostles. It's like, I'll, I'll look bad if it's for the sake of good, if it's going to preserve the body. So the lust of the flesh is what causes dissension in the body. Be alert for that too. Call it out. We are God's people, everybody. Like we are God's household by adoption. He's taken us in. The Father's taken us into his own home. By grace, he's made us this way. And now we have a glorious opportunity to bring God glory right here among one another and with one another. Run together in unity. And the angels are rejoicing when we live in love and obedience too. Don't forget that. They're celebrating when we live in love and obedience when we run together. Let's not let Satan spoil are living in the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ as one body. On the board regarding God's household, we saw this on Sunday, Satan devises endless schemes to divide the church and the churches. The easiest way to get people looking at, the easiest way is to get people looking at others' flesh by their flesh. Our eyes mustn't turn to the wrong things. We mustn't see the wrong thing in one another, even though we all act up at times. Our eyes must stay on the spiritual things of God, the spiritual realities. 
Go to 2 Corinthians 5.14. And again, we must avoid looking at others' flesh by the flesh. Second Corinthians 5.14 For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. We recognize no one according to the flesh. In other words, in verse 14 and 15, look at all that Christ did for us, to save us. Look at that perspective. So from now on, we don't recognize one another according to the flesh. We recognize one another as being in Christ, this one who died and rose again on our behalf. On the board, according to the flesh, Paul describes the flesh's inability to fellowship with spiritual man to see it all as truth. The flesh can't see it all as truth. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. Ephesians 5.13 But the flesh is blind. It's incapable of discerning the inherent goodness of a new creature. It's not able. That's why we can't look at things from the flesh's point of view. Again, in verse 16, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. And that includes yourself, by the way. Stop looking at yourself according to the flesh and condemning yourself. Look at you, the new creature in you that Christ has purchased. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. That's how we must keep looking at our fellow believers in Christ and even ourselves. At times, the flesh rears its ugly head. So it's not always easy to look past that and say, I see Christ in you. Forget this failure that you're all guilty about right now. You're apologizing to me for. Just forget it. I see Christ in you. You're a new creature. We must recall in the moment, in the difficult moments when we're challenged by the flesh, that that is not the true them. It's not the new them that God has made, the one that we see acting in the flesh. Again, on the board regarding God's household, Satan devises endless schemes to divide the church and the churches. The easiest way is to get people looking at others' flesh by their flesh, the inside agent. So what perspective are you looking at others from? How do you see others? especially in the church? Do you focus on their fallen nature? Or are you focusing or choosing to look at their new nature in Christ 
that God looked upon them with mercy and changed them. And they're God's child. This means seeing things the way Jesus or his spirit or the word sees them. Seeing things from divine perspective. How does God look at them once he elected them? The Lord, his spirit, and his word all tell us to look at believers as children of God. Change forever. Not to keep our eyes on their old man. Even when they're acting up in their flesh, keep their eyes, keep your eyes on the new man. Choose to look at the new man in them by grace. The same grace that saved you. On the board, there's no such thing as inconsistency between Jesus Christ, the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit. As a godly church, our goal is to recognize no one according to the flesh but rather by the Spirit and by Christ and by the Word. That's how we recognize one another. You know, that's why we should be so quick to forgive because it's not the real us, it's the old us that let us down. You know what I'm trying to say? We let each other down. It's the, that's the old person. Look at Christ in you, which is unearned, which is by grace. On the board, we also saw this on Sunday, a shepherd's perspective. Pastor said, when I, walked in, when I walk into this church, I say to myself, this is God's house. Far be it from me to allow on my watch anything or anyone to soil it. And we all soil, soil it from time to time when we do look at the flesh, right? But again, look at the shepherd's perspective. Look at the, the attitude of guarding the things of God, the body of Christ, the unity. Do we share that attitude on the board? And are we on guard for the treasure that God has entrusted to us? Namely, this household. I mean, this is a grace gift, everybody. It's easy to take this for granted, especially as years go on. You know, things are functioning pretty smoothly. Yeah, we're behind on the budget, but I'm sure we'll catch up. It's easy to look at this thing we have and say, oh, this will be here forever. Or this is how it's supposed to be. This isn't how it's supposed to be in the devil's world. This is like, it's a, it's a gift. It's precious. And if we don't guard it and we take it for granted, we're going to be like the Israelites in the Old Testament. They, they started going after foreign gods, and then God had to put them under discipline. God had to slam them because they literally went astray. They didn't stay unified as a body following the, the one Lord, God, and Savior that we have. So God wants us all to be protective of his house and to uh, relish it and to realize what we have. And his people, protect his people. The Spirit has brought this out to us as zeal for the things of God. And if we're losing our, our zeal, maybe we need to do a heart checkup. And we need to go to God on our knees and say, you know, Lord, I, I think I'm missing this proper attitude. Show me, you know, replenish my soul, do something. Uh, show me where I'm wrong. Show me where, what I'm looking at wrong. Because zeal is a wonderful, beautiful thing that God 
wants us to have for him and his people. We see in Paul, Paul had Christ's heart for people. And just one example of that is 2 Corinthians 11.29 on the board. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Paul didn't brush things off when people were involved. He's like, you're my people. That was his attitude. You're my children. You're part of my body, the body of Christ. So he had intense concern when someone was going astray. And we see zeal in the heart of Jesus as the Son of God. Go to uh, John chapter 2, verse 13 again. And as we read this verse again, notice what I said. We see zeal in the heart of Jesus as the Son of God. See, as the Son of God, He was zealous for His Father's house. If someone went into your parents' house or any of any of your relatives and started, you know, destroying it, how would you feel? Well, Jesus, don't forget, he was the Son of God. And so we see here the ultimate in uh, zealousness and love even for God. In John 2.13, the Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. On the board, Jesus refused to tolerate irreverence toward his father in his father's house, the temple. Do you have the same zeal? Like, what's your heart? Where's your heart at with this? Do you have this same type of zeal? Or do you tolerate irreverence because of partiality or weakness, etc.? Think about it. What do you tolerate that's ungodly, especially in your own home? If Listen, if these people were selling doves and stuff like that outside the temple, Jesus probably wouldn't have had a problem with it. But where were they doing it? In his father's house. The house that's there to serve the Lord, not to make profit not for selfish gain. So what's going on in your house? Like, how's your house operate? This is something we can all and all should examine ourselves with. What do you tolerate that's ungodly, that's against your heavenly father in your own home even? It could be your church home right here in this building even. It could be your own home, your own house. And not only what do you tolerate that's ungodly, but why? Why do we tolerate ungodly things when we know they're ungodly? Where's our heart on that? I mean, is it laziness? Is it partiality or favoritism where we don't want to confront somebody? Um, Is there a heart issue that you need to address with the Lord? And these are all, you know, these are (laughs) 
These are hard questions. We, we, we know that the Spirit's been making us examine ourselves now for years, right? He's calling us to the carpet. He's like, check your heart on this over and over and over. So don't be condemned again. God's, he's just trying to bring us out of the dust. You know what I mean? He's trying to clear our vision even more. And these things, it takes facing him in honesty and be like, Lord, show me where my heart's bad. Show me what, what I'm, you know, where I'm clinging to the flesh. Show me where my perspective is off. Why do I tolerate ungodly things in my home? Give me the courage and the faith to not do it anymore. We're all flawed, that's for sure. But as we examine ourselves, maybe the Spirit will convict us to some attitude we need to change. And that's all God's asking us for. Humility, willingness, willingly humble. The Spirit also reminded us on Sunday, as we begin to close, that Scripture describes Jesus as a man full of grace and truth. Right? We know that in John 1.14. There was nobody more full of grace and truth than Jesus. He was perfect, and that's who he was. And as the Spirit pointed out, Jesus, the one full of grace and truth, got physically violent, turning over tables as an expression of his zeal for his father's house. This goes back to the fact that grace isn't always what's easiest for us, but what's best for us, often telling us the truth that we need to hear. How many of those people left that temple that day and said, wow, he just woke me up. I've been selling things for personal gain in the father's house. There had to be some. But what did it take? It wasn't the thing that wasn't going to work in that situation was going up to him and saying, please don't do this in my father's house and walking away. Because that probably is what he would have done. I don't know if it was that easy. What, how many times do you need to be woken up in a quote-unquote violent way? Or someone tell you to your face something, right? Well, this was grace. And some people undoubtedly walked away from that temple that day saying, I'm wrong in this area. I'm going to repent before God. And you know what? That guy that turned over the tables, I think he was the son of God. It all took that action of grace, which didn't seem to be grace on the surface. So again, grace isn't always nice. Man has pigeonholed grace into a one-sided thing. It's our fault. Where it is defined as all things that accommodate man's predisposition about God's benevolence towards his creatures. These are man's or inventions of man's flesh. It's got to be easy. If it's not easy, it's not grace. That's what we think. And this also came out on Sunday. Regarding the same idea that grace isn't always nice. A grace-oriented household demands that the leader... And that's you, men, if, if the leader of the house is a man, if there is a man in the house. A grace-oriented household demands that the leader be righteously indignant in the same way Jesus was at times. And that's a show of grace. That's a show of love and honor. Sticking up for the ways of God, especially in your own household, is a form of good works. And it might even include some type of Tipping over tables, who knows? Don't go home and justify yourself now so you can, you know, be violent and destroy things. Some of you are like, i got to get this out. 
That's not what he means. But to think that something like that can be is, is good works, can be good works, if the motivation's right, if your heart's right, if you're doing it out of zealousness for, the, for God's ways. All right, we only get a couple more minutes here. For each one of us to say, both in one's heart and audibly in one's house, that my house serves the Lord. That's a beautiful stance to take in this world. That's an opportunity. Remember we talked about opportunity? That's an opportunity. If there is a, a chance that needs to be taken where someone is in your house violating the ways of God, let's say, mocking God in your own house, right? That's an opportunity to say, wait a minute, we're not going to do that here. Me and my house, we serve the Lord. And that's a beautiful stance to take in this world. And think about this. If we don't take a stance like that, because you know what? It's not easy to take a stance like that. A lot of us in our flesh or in our weakness, we don't want to confront people or whatever. We don't want to stir up the pot, right? But if we don't take a stance like that, we're hurting other people. And if we don't take a stance like that, then anything goes. It starts to drift away more and more and more and more and more. The attitude of the household, the thoughts that creep in that are accepted as okay, etc. So taking a stance like this, it could be one of the most beautiful things that you do in God's eyes because you're being zealous for his household. And that's where grace comes in. So we'll close with this point on the board. Grace and works. Acting on behalf of the Lord in grace is a good work, no matter how it offends those affected. Flipping tables, for example, John 2.15, sends the right message that this is the Lord's house. So pray about that first. Don't go around jumping to conclusions. And... uh, God might just use you to do that, even around the holidays right now, to take a stand with someone that um, wants to compromise or wants to make fun of God or the holiday or the Lord in some way, you know? And they might really even respect you for it and have their eyes opened and be woken up that you really do believe this stuff. And who knows, someone might even come to salvation because of that type of zeal. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much again for this time to gather together and to learn your word and to hear from your spirit. We thank you for your faithfulness and your grace, always apparent to us and in different forms. We ask that you help us recognize your grace, Father, and appreciate you and learn from you in humility. We ask that you bless us all as we go. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your Spirit. Amen.